0: I've always been an entrepreneur at heart my name is Elon Jacobson and deal making is in my DNA I'll be here each week talking with entrepreneurs and deal makers about the crazy obstacles they've faced along their paths and whether it's nature or nurture driving their success expect the unexpected on a dealmaker's DNA welcome back everyone to another episode of the dealmakers DNA I have a fun one today I have a uh Michael Brown with me. And Mike, this is the first live podcast since before COVID. So thank feel honored. You thank you for joining <laughs> me. It's, it's yeah. strange for me to be even here and seeing you in 3D because I've done 56 in a row uh, yeah. through through Zoom. So this is really nice and hopefully a, a sign of things to come. Awesome. So Michael is the founder and CEO of Swept Technologies. Uh, Swept helps commercial cleaning companies grow by empowering their frontline cleaners, their employees, and uh, Michael is uh, passionate on making technology accessible. Okay. Michael uh, finished uh, school at uh, Soy School of Business uh, in St. Mary's and also studied uh, France and Hong Kong. Yes. I want to talk about those experiences. Yes. Uh, unlike you, I never did any real traveling. I'm sure there's some interesting experiences uh, that you've had along the way. And uh, Michael also uh, completed the 500 Startups, which was a uh, incubator in Silicon Valley. So again, yeah. something else I want to touch on. Michael uh, also uh, gets back, uh, serving on multiple nonprofit boards. So again, Mike, yeah. thank you so much for, for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely, in <laughs> real life. In, yeah, in real life. Exactly. <laughs> figure figure that. So, so, so Mike, I uh, I always like starting at the beginning, right? I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm more interested in, in the story behind the story. Yeah. You know, I, I deal with business all day long, but I'm more interested in the in the person. So, you know, give me give me a you know, a view and maybe the, the, the beginning parts of your life, what that looked like. Uh, cause I know that's, you know, those early years are always foundational on anyone's development. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So my background, and again, there's no right or wrong. It's,
1: it is like what you kind of, the card you dealt. So I grew up in poverty. And if you could ask me when I was a kid, when I wanted things like, whether was clothing or food, <laughs> you know, I would have, you know, wished and wished and wished that away. But it actually shaped me for who I am. So like if I wanted school clothes, I had to knock on doors and you know mow lawns and rake leaves and you know pile wood and things like that. So because that was my circumstance, I started my first actual business when I was eight. Um, there's a program called uh, I Wanna Be a Millionaire Pro Yeah, I Wanna Be a Millionaire Club or something like that. RBC was involved and there's a government program involved and you know we raised like they give you $150 and run a, a small company for the summer. And ever since that time, I was like building businesses. As a kid, uh, it was always kind of peculiar because even though my family didn't have a lot, I found the kids who did have a lot were hanging out with me and I was, I was buying, like renting the video games and stuff like that. So I was like having my own independence. So that's kind of, yeah, that's
0: when I started off in business at a, quite a young age. That, that's super young. I mean, you know, you talk a lot about, you know, not wanting to change your circumstance and, and adversity. Yeah. You know, I'm a massive, massive believer in adversity. and. It's, it's it's something that you can't hack, right? It's a, it's a very very difficult thing, and yeah. you know, there's when people talk about you know being born into unfortunate circumstances, I, I think a lot of that's also mindset. It's like the person who's born into wealth won't get those advantages that you got, right? Then they'll they'll have different ones for sure, absolutely. But I think it's it's very much the mindset, and I totally agree with you. I, I, I grew up, you know, I wouldn't say in poverty, but not well off. Yeah, and. Um, I would change the world. I mean, I was a stock boy at chocolate drug mart at 15 years old, and I had to work for the things that I wanted, and uh, you know, it is something that I think about, we were just talking before about how you hack it into your kids, and uh, that's that's something that's going to be extremely challenging, I'm sure a lot of people think about and and
1: face. And then, yeah, you want to help create that opportunity for them, but also have them not feel guilt. It's like, you know, mom and dad grew up this way, like, you don't want them to feel bad with the advantages they have. Like, how do they properly leverage that, but also, It's
0: complicated, much more complicated raising children than it is building a business. Yeah, you're right, you're right. You you can fire people at work, you can't fire your (laughs) kids. (laughs) Yeah. So, so obviously you had that entrepreneurial bug pretty early, you said you kind of always were were doing some some sort of hustle. Like, why did you go the the education route, you know? I had a hiatus. I I find a lot of people that start that young in business, they typically just don't, they they just
1: continue going. Yeah, so I had a hiatus of, probably a decade where I wasn't doing anything entrepreneurial because, you know, people, they say like people will give the advice that they would take. So the advice from my parents, from my counselor was, uh, it's really like neat that you're building these businesses, um, but it's just too much risk businesses. Like you want stability, you should go get a trade, which might have been the right advice for them, but not for me. Yeah. That that sounds like horrible advice. Yeah. (laughs) So I ended up becoming a mechanic, uh, with BMW, um, and you know, I liked it, you know, I I did well. Um, I was on a path where I was going to be the youngest master technician um, in BMW Canada, Uh, but I was involved in a car accident. So someone hit my vehicle while I was parked. And then I I ended up on disability for a short period of time. And I was like, oh, shit, Um, I don't want to go back into poverty. Like, I I was not married or anything, but I thought disability, like long term, they started talking about that. I was like, no. So I applied to university. And uh, they wouldn't let me in. They said my marks weren't high enough in high school because I was like running jobs, like, running businesses, and building stuff like that. <laughs> you, weren't, you
0: weren't caring about them. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so no, I was like,
1: no, I need to get in. So I negotiated my way in, and they finally let me into the university. In a two-year program, which then they converted to a four-year program, and that's what I studied in France and Hong Kong. And it was I was in France, and I was in this uh, subway. I was looking at the ads, and I was looking seeing different businesses the way they positioned things. It's just like slightly different. And I thought, why don't we do this in Canada? Like, I don't, I don't remember exactly what business, there's some kind of business. And then, but I kept seeing that I started asking myself, well, why is this not being done like this? And that, that's where that entrepreneurial bug started, mm-hmm. to, like, started asking these questions. So I went home and started a business as a $10 class project, which I turned into, um, like over a million dollars in sales and like from 10 bucks. Right. And then, start another company and another one and that's where it all kind of like came through so i had this like 10-year gap so i feel uh in some ways frustrated by that but you can't change it it is what it is and what i'm going to learn from that is like don't push my kids like try to learn from them what they're looking for rather than say like you should go do this like
0: yeah i I find that if you take too much advice and you land up in the middle you know what i mean exactly the dangers it it is because you know people i don't think guidance counselors mean to push people into the middle, but that's no. kind of what naturally happens, yeah. Um, because you, you got to do something that's a little bit crazy if you're going to achieve something great, totally right. Um, so, so talk to me about this the mechanic background. I mean, I, I you're definitely the first entrepreneur that I've met, as, yeah, that has a mechanic background, yeah. How do you think that's helped? you know, your mindset as it relates to, you know, decision making, like, is there, is there something like, I know, for example, our CLO was an engineer, and you can, you can see the engineer in him when he's making decisions, mm-hmm. you know, and I have a background in genetics, yeah. so, you know, I use the scientific method quite often just by mistake, because that's, that's how I, you know, grew up.
1: Yeah, it's the, so there's two things, there's a, a leadership component, but there's also like a problem solving aspect, and so from, from that piece, like BMW, it's, super complicated the number of control modules it's insane fiber optics and all the rest and so I remember we had a vehicle the wipers were going and so there was a technician who like replaced the control module for the wipers and it didn't work and they tried a bunch of different things and they, they finally brought it over to me and I found out that it was actually to do with the, the headlights um, so the headlights and the wipers use the same sensor to assess when it turned brights and low beams on and off and when it's raining put the wipers on and so because the headlights were off the wipers were going but the headlights work perfectly fine but to me that's where it's like that's bizarre that's mm-hmm. that's not straight out of the textbook and i think
0: that's where running a business you come up against a bunch of shit that's weird and try it's to- that you've never come across you've before.
1: never come across and so you have to think about it and be thoughtful it's like you can do the knee-jerk reaction or you can and sometimes that will work but other times it's like you need to sit back and think about how to diagnose this problem. Um, and so I think that has definitely applied. The other side of it was uh, my mentor, well, I was an apprentice, and he and I started the shop the same day. He still run, he runs the shop today. And every time I asked him for help, he would say, well, what do you, why do you think it's working like that? There's another guy who was an apprentice and he was working with one of the other techs and every time he needed something, then the older mechanic would just come over and fix it, he looked whatever it was, whether it was yeah. electrical, and so I shot out because as frustrated as I was at the point in time, like his name is Brent, Brent would not give me the answer. You had to figure it out yourself. I had to figure it out, and he'd help guide, he'd be me questions. And I see that with my team as well. When someone wants to know something, if I just do everything for them, like the business will never scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a really, again, you don't
0: really know it at the time, but a good lesson in leadership. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you, you spoke. you spoke about being thoughtful. You know, I, I'm, I'm always curious, what's worse in your opinion? Making decisions too quickly or too slowly. I mean, they're both bad. I know, right? Yeah. But like, like, what do you think is more dangerous? That's that's like an impossible question. Mm-hmm. Um, so three questions
1: that I work with. My coach has, has shared with me the master paradigm and the human paradigm. So when something goes wrong, um, a lot of people will blame. Whether you know, sometimes they'll accept it and they'll say, you know, you know, it was my fault. Um, other times, people who are not great, be blaming others. But the reality of it is, its what happened, what's missing, and what's next? And that's the master paradigm. So it, it doesn't matter who did something. If something went wrong, that's what happened. Yeah. And as much as you can learn about that. So what's missing? Well, it went wrong because of X, Y, Z. Okay, so then what's next? Like what's next might be just leave it alone, like let it keep festering. Or it might be we need to take immediate action. I think so the speed of the decision, there's some people who are just completely brilliant and they, they come up with it immediately. It doesn't devalue the, the, the time, it's, I think it's more the framework and process they can use to get there so yeah but i also hate really slow decisions because i think when you hesitate you lose
0: so. yeah yeah no i agree <laughs> you know, I've, I've been prone to making quick decisions yeah you know, i've slowed down over the years but i still think it's more dangerous to move too slowly yeah i really do i think that um i find that even if you make decisions too quickly you can fix things quicker like even if you, you make a bad decision you'll yeah. just make another one yeah where i find that a lot of people get like stuck and, so you know, you know, paralysis by analysis, yeah. right? It's uh, I see that all the time. We've done something with our, in our company now
1: around setting meetings because I find, I hate meetings. Meet just, Always so many, yeah. they're not effective. And so we do, it's like POP. So when you, if I invite you to a meeting, what's the purpose? What's the outcome? And what do I need to prep? And so, and we tell people, like, if someone sets an hour-long meeting and you look at this and you know, like, you need 15 minutes or maybe you don't need anything, cancel it or say maybe, and if it's a maybe, then you have to find out why. I was on a call today, and it was a half hour call, and it just so happened, I said, sorry guys, like I only have 15 minutes, can we solve it in 15? And they weren't really sure, and after 12 minutes, we were done. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm trying to teach that to the team to create like decision making, it just doesn't, like, yes, you have to be thoughtful, and, like, but if you prepare a little bit, then you actually can get there a lot quicker. Yeah. People get stuck, and they start
0: cycling, and cycling, and cycling, and then you're scared. And, and I find that the, big, the biggest problem people have is that they don't actually know what's important and what's not mm-hmm. right like deciphering that is actually I've learned difficult I think for most entrepreneurs it's one of the skill sets that they kind of have to have yeah so for me like you give me a, a set of, of, of data that problems like I kind of know what's important and what's yeah. not but like, most people just don't and they work on everything equally which is not a good idea.
1: Yes, I agree. I think that as a leader, sometimes we, because we see the full picture, we can get there quicker. Yeah. Um, and sometimes slowing down to bring them along a bit. I, but I think there's Einstein, would it's they, they, you know, kind of that note where he would work on a problem for 55 minutes. So yeah, now working on a problem and understanding it for 55 minutes, then solution for five. Because mm-hmm. once you have all the information, you can actually get there quick. And so when people jump to a solution quick and then people Find out it doesn't work, they go back. If they, they just spend the time for yeah. really understanding, like you say,
0: what you're solving for and what's important, the decision comes a lot quicker. Totally. So, so, so let's let's talk about this this international travel. I mean, you 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 mentioned kind of a lesson you learned in France, which is an interesting one. Yeah. And quite frankly, I think a lot of businesses in Canada, are, you know, we're, we're typically late on on you know on the train or on the bus, whatever yeah. you call it. And you know, I think Canadians have become pretty good at co- copying. Yeah. Um, so that is an interesting lesson. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the other lessons you learned, you know, whether it be from, from France, from, from Hong Kong? I do want to talk about Silicon Valley. But yeah. So when I
1: was running that business, I mentioned uh, it was in construction when I was in university. I didn't know who to ask. I couldn't ask a competitor in my space. So I actually flew to Chicago and like, I
0: Googled different companies that were doing
1: exactly what I was doing. I asked, could I come down and visit them? and learn from them as a young entrepreneur, as a student. And I flew down and they, they actually looked at my passport. I thought I might, might actually be in the city and like just trying to like get information out of them. But that's one of the things about travel is you can meet with people who are doing the same thing. You're definitely not competing and they'll, they're very open just like sharing everything. Like this this guy, like he'd been in the business for 30 years. He's like, here's assumptions I made that were wrong. Here's where I got screwed here. And I went back home and just like kept growing and growing and growing before I ultimately sold that business. So I think that's the other thing is like meeting the humans um, and connecting with them as we're
0: as we're traveling the, the the move to Silicon Valley the, the whole incubator like you've you've been successful you you kind of knew what you were doing in building those you know the, the, the companies mm-hmm. why did you decide to go that route and, and what were some of the lessons you learned uh from that from going through the accelerator yeah yeah so
1: i had a founder um a friend who was a founder that had went through the program and funny enough i actually just invested in this company um a couple months ago uh, so it's, it's kind of interesting how, uh, how that kind of works that ecosystem but he'd gone through 500 and loved it and he shared a lot of what the benefits for him in terms of you know the culture is so much different than Canada like and especially yeah. where I live in the Atlantic um, people are a little more hesitant a little bit more slow you know every time they set a meeting it's for a full hour and um, so that's yeah totally this rapid yeah you know, the first time I set a meeting with someone down there like a mentor I said it for an hour and they They said, no, I thought that's weird. We said, we're going to have a meeting. And they were back for like 20 minutes. I thought it was rude. I was like, well, what are we going to do in 20 minutes? But we had a 20 minute meeting. Damn, it was so impactful. Everyone really wants to help everyone because, you know, for a variety of reasons, but also like maybe you're speaking to an entrepreneur today that is just starting, but in 15 years, they're going to have a billion dollar company. And like, and so it's, it's this concept of like just you don't know who anyone is or where they're going help them they're going to help you and it kind of builds that ecosystem but for me it was just the pace really i was really looking for a different pace uh and people who've done it before i mean i, I built businesses that were non-tech and i wanted to see and wanted to have that experience um and i absolutely loved it i brought some of that culture back to my company yeah so how long ago was that that you did that it was probably four years ago yeah. So so so. Talk to and now me. I invest in companies. So last year I think I invest in five companies that went through five hundred because I had really? such a good connection. I mentor. I do whatever I can to help them because I really similar to studying abroad. Like I created scholarships. every I created a scholarship at my university for students who are in entrepreneurship and students who are studying abroad because those two things like really
0: opened up my life.
1: Yeah.
0: So so swept. I mean, you want to go into technology, and you decide to go into a traditional business mm-hmm. like uh, like like cleaning. Yeah, so talking about that because that that's that that's not that's not typical. Yeah, it's not super
1: sexy, which is actually where a lot of value can be created. So for me, because my background is a mechanic, like I'm a hands-on. I can you know I I can do the grunt work. I can I can figure all that out. But where it came from was Google Ventures had um, led a round in a company called Homejoy. And so it was in, I remember that. Yeah. Cleaning yeah. company marketplace. I totally remember that. that are they still around? No. Oh, I don't okay. Think so. so they raised, uh, I think 40 million or something like that. And I was like, what are they doing? What's what's happening here? Why is Google ventures backing a cleaning company? And so I launched it, um, with my co-founder and he, and you know, I like could have built the website for $15,000. We validated that the cleaner gets paid, let's say $12 an hour. You're charging $30 an hour after a couple cleaning services. The client says, why don't I just pay you 18? We'll cut out the company. Here's what they do. So then you basically have a matchmaking service, but there's no, the KPIs, the metrics don't work. For, it's not matchmaking. It's a, you, you need that service in perpetuity. So we're like, this isn't gonna work. Not sure how they did it. Maybe they're smarter than us. Maybe they just have a ton of money they're going whatever, but we're gonna move over to commercial cleaning, And that's where Slack came from. Homejoy went to 28 cities and then it kind of imploded. Um, and There's still some businesses out there that they're doing it and they may have found a few different ways, but what I found the real problem, the pain point was uh, not matching. There's lots of people looking for cleaners and lots of cleaners looking for jobs. It's actually making sure that the service and the operation is done successfully. Um, so that's really where our product lives currently today is on the op side,
0: communicating and uh, all that. Do you know, I find a lot of technology, you know, companies are selling into other, you know, the tech departments of larger, you know, corporations, whatever mm-hmm. it might be, you're selling to cleaners, right? So talk to me about that sales cycle, because it must be a unique one. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Uh, our
1: sales cycle is, you know, sometimes less than 24 hours, and, you know, on average, it's about a week and a half to two weeks. You're bringing in, so we sell to cleaning companies, like, and, you know, their mom and pops, so and 95% of the industry, is doing less than a million dollars um the five biggest companies only take up uh, about six seven percent of the 70 billion dollar industry so it's totally fragmented and no one has built any solutions or great solutions for this group and we see our companies like our clients coming in and then doubling and tripling their revenue because they actually have systems and processes in place through swap but it is tricky in that they're not switching from one software to another. They're, there's like no line item in their budget. They're using pen and paper. And so they, they have a real pain point that you can solve, but they never even thought of it. So we're educating an industry. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm hosting another event in Chicago next month. And so it's going really, really well, that education. But it was we had to figure out like, how to really attract them.
0: And that's, I think we've, we've kind of put that recipe together. And what inning do you think mm-hmm. you're in right now? <sighs> it's funny. Um,
1: I feel like I'm just getting started. We were too early. Uh, ultimately, that's probably one of the big things. We were the first group like, to go in the hands of a cleaner. Instead of just trying to track them, like, are you on site or are you not? Like we have that in Geofence, but more like in a hundred different languages, connecting with them so they know how to be successful. And initially people, the response from the industry is like, we don't want to talk to our cleaners. Why would we talk to our cleaner? I want to track them, I want to control them. That has shifted so much, especially with COVID. People are now like, if something goes wrong, the cleaner knows first. So it's like they're they're learning they need to empower that workforce and support them.
0: But what? why did COVID change that? Well,
1: oh, because everyone knows about cleaning and cares about it. We couldn't be oh, in our offices, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. now now what happens is I've always known that, that cleaning is important. My clients have always known, but now their clients, like whoever comes in and cleans your space for you, mm-hmm. this. Beautiful, very beautiful office. Uh, Whoever comes in here, like they know they needed to do a good job. They always did, but now you also know the importance because your staff has been at home for for so long. Um, So now there's like a really big spotlight on the industry. Interesting. So
0: you've mentioned uh, you work with a coach. Yes. You've mentioned this idea of mentorship. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm a massive believer in that. I mean, we're both young entrepreneurs. Yeah relatively, I mean, there's younger, right? But there's also older. And, and you know, I've, I'm a massive, I, I really do believe that, that it doesn't really matter how smart you are, there is no substitution for experience. And for me, coaching, mentorship is basically, you know, hacking that experience, yeah. right? As opposed to having to go through it yourself, you can learn from others. Yeah. I would imagine you agree with that statement. But, but what are some of the other things that you've, um, you know, got from, you know, your coach, mentors, and, and, and why do you think it is so important? So, it's kind of like counseling in the sense. So we
1: all carry baggage. I'm not a super trusting person, even though I want to be trusting. I know there's value in like trusting first and all that because of my childhood and all the shit that I went through. I was not approaching like I was showing up sometimes not in the right way, and I was even aware of it or to make excuses for it. So I think my coach, every coach is different, but for anyone who's listening and is thinking about well, getting a coach, I strongly recommend you find five and then have an interview with them. They'll do like a free coaching session. You can find it how you connect. And the guy, uh, my coach, his name is Toku, and he focuses on your being, not what you're doing. A lot of coaches like, here's how you run an effective meeting or here's how you do X, Y, Z. It's important, but really, who you're being in that meeting. So, do you want to go through the agenda perfectly, or do you want to show up and make sure that your team is empowered? Because I was running into meetings with stuff on my mind Mm -hmm. that they were not aware of, nor should they be. I was carrying that baggage, and then we'd have a great, like to me, a great meeting, super effective, in and out, everything's done, everyone has alignment. They'd be going, "What's going on with Michael? Is there something wrong? Like maybe something at home with my wife?" But the way I was carrying myself. It has an impact, and so I think like who you're being in each moment, how to be authentic, because um, some people like ultimately want to be authentic and genuine, but they get so much trash in their head, so much going on, and that's
0: it spills out everywhere. It's so interesting this idea of showing up. You know, I I I, I use the word pr- like being present. Yeah, right. And it is one of the most difficult things to do. Totally. It, it sounds obvious. It's like well, how, you know, just live in the moment. Like yeah. It's actually one of the more challenging things that one can possibly do. Yeah. What are some of the tools that you've learned to 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 ensure that you can show up the way you want to? Because I struggle with that all the time. I've got 19,000 things in my head, yeah, you know with my kids and I'm half there. Oh, and, yeah. you know it's something that I, I think is so important because it, you know I also think it's so important because if you read anything about you know some of like the gurus, and you know, people that, that study this idea of happiness, mm-hmm. without fail, the number one thing that they say is living in the moment, being present, yep. is the recipe for you know yep. happiness. Totally. I mean,
1: like him or not politically, like Bill Clinton, that's what people said that when they spoke, when they speak with him, he makes you feel like you're the only person in the mm-hmm. world, which is incredibly, yeah. an incredible feeling. Um, and who would not want to yeah. create that kind of feeling for others? When I went through university, people, because I was on this mission. And like I have I'm injured, I have chronic pain. I didn't know at the time I was going to become an entrepreneur, uh, or like I was an entrepreneur. And so I was like, I need to have great marks, I need to come out on top, because if not, I'm gonna be stuck in the middle with everyone and graduating older with a back injury, so I'm like a liability. And so I also didn't want to compromise my experience. So I thought, when I'm studying, I'm gonna study. When I'm partying, I'm gonna party. And then when I started running business universities, like when I was running those businesses, so like I'm not gonna worry about midterms right now because I'm creating invoices to send out to get paid. And I was really quite diligent with that for years. And then maybe as things got busier, I just I just kind of like lost that. And I, you know, my daughter will like,
0: daddy, when are you gonna like, look, stop looking at your phone or whatever. I'm like, oh shit, I'm screwing this up
1: so badly. But I think that's the, the thing that I wanna work on. We're having a podcast right now I can't think about Why, what, what benefit is for me in this little piece of my brain that's like not fully engaged to, to like, to do that, no, you just have to be present. So I think it's, zoom helped with, with COVID. So I have like on my monitor, like little questions or little statements or little things that I can like, oh yeah, come
0: back in. I have all my notifications turned off. So I I think cell phones are just brutal. It's disgusting. Yeah.
1: They were created. Without any idea what was going to take place.
0: Um yeah, well, one, so one of the things that I've done is, when I'm in a meeting or if I have, lunch, I'm meeting someone for lunch or whatever it is, like I do not look at my phone. Yeah. Period. Like nothing's going to change. Yeah. You know, and uh, and and that has created so much more, you know, meaningful relationships. Totally. Because you're right. Like someone, like it's super obvious if someone is engaged with you. Yeah. Or if they're thinking about ninety-five thousand different things. Yeah. And you're like, what am I doing here? Right. Yeah. It, it, it's, yeah like, exactly. It, it's it, like. Yeah, like people don't mean to, but you're not going to be able to build a connection with someone no. um, if, if that's you know how they're you know yeah. they're
1: coming at you. And so you can feel it. We all feel it on the personal side, but then it, again, if you're running a meeting or like running your company and your team feels like that, how inspired are they to work for you when you won't even give them a piece of time? You you know some of the people in my team I, I speak with once a quarter. Um, yeah. They don't report directly to me, but I have the one-on-one meeting with everyone every quarter. Uh, and I'll do that as long as I can, as we continue to scale it. I have to be present. What the heck? The, the other three months until they see me again. Like, how excited are they going to be to like push into
0: that next challenge? Like, yeah. Michael won't even give me a piece of his time. Yeah. And, and once you're able to do it, it's actually more fun and and, and, more, oh, yeah. and more fulfilling for yeah. sure. Absolutely, right? Um, yeah, super interesting. I, I like I like the idea. Of, you know. A coach being able to help you with that. Yeah, that's not something that I had thought about a coach being able to help you with. Because, because you're right. I mean, coaching is is probably 90 percent therapy in a way, right? Oh, yeah. Like it's uh, um, I, the, the idea of like, I don't need. I love you. you can always learn new tactics. Yeah. That's not what changes the game. No. It's 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 it's, it's you changing that changes yeah. the game.
1: Totally. It's creating that space as well to reflect. Um, my my wife's uh, uncle. He is known for that uh, stepping back and just like creating that space to think. Most of us don't do it. It's like, go, go, go to the next thing. And then you realize you're on this wheel, you know, on this treadmill. And then I think that the more you get ramped up, the more little tasks come in, and you of delegating, you just take them. And the next thing you know, it's like weeks and weeks go by and you've not done any meaningful work. So uh, I've been really focusing on stepping back from the day to day like really, to the point where it's, I'm almost uncomfortable, but I can see the metrics. I see we're all trending up. Everything is going well. My team also feel more empowered, and I'm working on some really big stuff right now. Um, that's how you. That's how you do it. Yeah. So. Before I let you go, know, what's what's the end goal for Swept? Where do you want to take this? Well, when I started this, I, I felt I want someone if they're going to work, you know, at a cleaning company that they want to use Swept because as a, as a cleaner, as a technician, it's easier for them. but If you're going to start or run a cleaning company that you're going to use SWAP, if you're going to hire someone that uh, you're going to ensure that cleaning company uses SWAP. So there's still quite a gap between here and there, but I was with a customer this morning and they said, you know, our customers now put in their RFPs with different buildings that they own that you must use SWAP. So because we brought that to them and showed them that solution, they're now putting it everywhere else. And I just kind of smile because like it's coming true, it's yeah. working. So we really want to be that brand throughout the industry that um, we want to be loved and trusted as a software
0: provider uh, for this industry. Very cool. And you know, one of the things that I alluded to uh, at the beginning was you know your involvement in not for profit. You know, what are some of the things that, that, that you know you like spending your time on? Why do you think giving back is so important? Yeah. So for me, um, I'd want to
1: business award, um, the Frank H. Shovey Award, and it, you know, it's the biggest uh, business award in Atlanta, Canada, and I took that and I donated some money to Feed Nova Scotia, because I used the food bank growing up, and Feed Nova Scotia distributes it to the, the food banks in, in Nova Scotia. And so um, it was a really good feeling to be able to give back, and that was the first time financially i have given back, but right? i have given back hours and hours of volunteering over the years, and uh, it, just, it feels really good to know that at one point I was in need, and when you're in need and people help you it feels good but you also kind of feel guilty wow. but now i've been able to contribute back uh, and i've really shifted gears a lot from the hours because i don't have hours as much but i have more money so i can donate but i've been really reflecting on legacy and what i want to do in the future and that's i think that's what's kind of been keeping me up at night thinking about what kind of impact and where It'll probably be around food and, you know, as we build businesses and you build networks and, you know, create more influence, having that intention, like, what do I want to be remembered for? It's likely not going to be swept. No matter how big that becomes, I want to be remembered for something other than yeah. that. So, yeah,
0: it's very cool. So, so Michael, first off, thank you very much for joining me and doing this live was yeah. was really fun. You know, there's going to be some entrepreneurs out there and some young people that would love to follow along with you, your story. What's the best yeah. way that they could do that? And I know you're on LinkedIn.
1: Yeah, the best thing is on LinkedIn, connect with me and just note how you're connected. So as you know, people are adding on LinkedIn, click, 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 blindly, and then you accept them and they just try to sell you stuff. Yeah. Um, And then you unfriend them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So to me, it's like, if you're going to ping me on LinkedIn, just like add a little note, like heard you here and here's a challenge I'm having or whatever the case is. Like, I also, I launched a fund last year, Longshot Capital, so we're actively investing in startups. Um, Same thing connect with me, not just like pitch, pitch, pitch. Like yeah. if I can help, I'd love to, because so many people have helped me. And that, 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 that whole thing, like uh, ask for money, get advice, ask for advice, get money, kind of thing. About. It's true, because totally true. Um, people want
0: to help. Yeah. Um, so I you don't have you. to pitch them your first 10 seconds. Totally agree. Yeah. Well, thanks very much, and uh, until next time. That's it for this week. If you enjoyed what you heard, rate us and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, on a dealmaker's DNA where you can expect the unexpected.